0: It was a real kind of statement of intense yeah right from the start they were really 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 honest.
1: you can be absolutely sure that they will want to leave absolutely nothing in that changing room the club championship show subscribe to the ga podcast feed on the otb sports app now
2: You're very welcome along to Wednesday evenings off the ball. Andy Farrell has named a 36-man squad. Just one of the points up for discussion with Keith Wood and the Irish independence Rory O'Connor on Wednesday night rugby this evening after 8. Meanwhile, there are some murmurings, and I must say I'm sceptical, but there are some murmurings certainly, that Lewis Hamilton is on the verge of walking away from Formula One. Journalist Jess McFadden is going to join us on the never-ending fallout from Abu Dhabi. That's this hour. And Manchester United are away to Brentford this evening. Leicester host Spurs. Dan McDonnell is along in studio for the football show between 9 and 10. 53106 is the text number. We're at off the ball on Twitter. Richie McCormick, evening. Even, Joe. Johnny Ward, come on in. Hello.
0: How are you, Joe? How are you getting on?
2: Yeah, very well. What's happening in your world? What's taking your fancy? What's catching your eye? What's going on, Johnny?
0: Not that much. Kind of, kind of January feeling of just trying to get back into the the new year. Another, another year starts, showing and all that. We're well into January now, but um, just hoping that um, kind of restrictions are eased at the end of the month, and that. Um, I guess for the, I think for the Six Nations, I think the IRFU and the various organisations, I think they need crowds back and I think for the League of Ireland as well. um, The the soundings are good on that score, I think. I'm encouraged by that anyway, but um, some worries for Shamrock Rovers, which we will discuss in terms of the crowd for their first game for the season.
2: Mm. Uh, The soundings are not good out of Old Trafford ahead of kick-off this evening against Brentford. I was just, uh, before we came on air, reading Miguel Delaney's piece where he's talked to various people around the club geez these players are hard to please so uh, listen to some of this and you can tell me just how grim the rest of the season is going to be in one of Ralph Rangnick's early training sessions the German barked an instruction in a manner that startled some of the Manchester United players <laughs> uh, oh <my> God. <laughs> things don't improve so yeah. he barked in a manner that startled some of the Manchester United players looks were exchanged between players quips soon followed later on in the piece Rangnick's austere manner has become one of his more conspicuous characteristics when he's actually on the training ground some of the players joke about how he's now shouting again a few roll their eyes and wish he'd be less loud just imagine Ralph Rangnick sort of as a toddler going around screaming uh, so uh, they go on to say here Miguel I here goes on to say and he's, he's spoken to various people Uh, Rangnick wants them to press but actually it turns out uh, Manchester United's average pressing this season number of presses per game 43.4 their average under Rangnick is 41.8 so pressing has gone down and the sense is he can't connect with the players and that's one of the reasons they're not following his instructions so well Uh, the players apparently hungry for tactical information but interestingly They don't see as much of Rangnick as they expected to. The German likes to leave a lot of the training to his assistants and when he does get involved, he's seen as very severe. That has meant the United players have found the whole situation rather cold. In the most concerning development, a few sources say the players don't really understand what Rangnick wants from them in terms of play. The general feeling is that the appointment has had a deflating effect rather than the spark anticipated. That's just some of Miguel Delaney's very interesting piece from the London Independent this afternoon. So I don't know, Richie, I'm, I'm hopeful. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there.
1: <laughs> that, like, it, it, the very fact that that piece exists and is so well sourced and has so many reputable quotes within it suggests how toxic the atmosphere at Manchester United is because pieces like that at a well-running club do not happen. Like, like they don't hear quotes from that coming out from the Liverpool squad you don't hear uh, quotes like that coming out from even like Arsenal players under Mikel Arteta when things haven't been going great uh, certainly doesn't happen under Pep Guardiola Manchester City but far too often like these united players uh underperforming as they are seem to think that talking to the press is a better outlet than actually going to their manager and asking okay well what do you actually want from us here rather than saying well he's not giving us any information like they're a bunch of kids who've gone home with like with with saying they've no homework because their teacher like essentially told them to read like i'm not reading that Uh, like they're, they're a bunch of babies like and it's really really weird to see People who are aging between, like, in Cristiano Ronaldo's gonna be knocking on 40 down to, you know, teenagers like Anthony Alanga. And whoever has giving the quotes to the press, mm. saying oh, they're not teaching us properly, like really needs to have a proper look at themselves. Because the, they don't have the work behind them to justify the whinges that are being yeah. given to the likes of Miguel. Don't have the credit in the bank. They need a Ross Geller type to go in and just ask Ralph to, you
2: know, just quiet and can we just... Just too loud, too loud. What struck me, Johnny, about the piece was it's the kind of piece that you read after a manager has been sacked the traditional what went wrong under this manager piece where everybody blabs and spills the beans Rangnick's about what five, ten games in here and they're <laughs> he's already a dead man walking you know so I don't hold out much hope of uh, United improving much
3: No and they
0: haven't really improved since he took over in terms of just watching them and it's mad to contrast them with Man City because like I, I don't know if I don't know about you lads, but like it's hard to get any joy out of Man City's um, title march, and, and if you take away, like, you know, the way the club is run and how they're funded and all that, just take all that away, even watching them. There's something a little bit joyless about their domination, but it's it's almost like an army routine there under Guardiola, you know, there isn't really much dissent, you know, um, kind of allowed. And what are they, 56 points from 22 games? They've been amazingly efficient the last 12 games in particular. I think they're on a 12-game win and run. And, um, Watching them just squeeze the life out of teams and just win like so ruthlessly, and then you compare it to Man United and the salaries that these guys are on and how pampered they are. Um, it's it's just absolutely incredible and it, it's it's amazing. Because I was just thinking of this thing coming on today. If we did talk about Man United, the amount of times that I have spoken about Man United <laughs> over the last few months, this is about a team that may or may not come fourth this season in the Premier League. It's like why? It's almost like. And I know everyone, like everyone, so many people love Man. You know, it was like the amount of time that we give them, um, you know, and the amount of time we talk about their underperforming players, challenges of the management team and all that, it's so inconsistent with what they are as a team at the moment.
2: Very true, very true. It's interesting you raised the Man City point because we had that very discussion on Monday and Ken Early was writing about it and generally I think most people are in agreement that there is an an extraordinary quality to Man City's football and yet it's far too clinical and efficient and conservative, oddly, you know, which is not a a phrase you would necessarily associate with possession-based football and when they score lots of goals. But there is a conservatism in how they play and don't take on Hail Mary moments too often. They'll uh, recycle possession and that's why a Jack Grealish goes from being box office to, well, just another cog in the wheel. So uh, with Man City, there is that humdrum lack of emotional roller coaster that is uh, dull and it's it's really just a, a consequence of their efficiency so it's hard to be critical of them as a team because they're all brilliant and yet the reality is as we sit and watch sport we're looking for a touch more roller coaster here and there
0: we are and like you know there's so much football on now there's so much Premier League football on that you know you almost expect all the top teams games to be available to you to watch Um, and you do get to the point where like we're in the the start of January the league is over and like I'm not really that bothered about watching the the Champions Elects any time in the near future apart from the Champions League I'd prefer to watch um, for example Norwich are playing like I think they're playing Watford on Friday and just for the sake of Adamida and you know Om- Omoba Medele I've kind of gotten into watching a bit of Norwich and hoping that they might actually survive and like finish ahead of Newcastle which I think would be just be great for the world and for football but like I have no real interest in watching Man City as much as De Bruyne is you know edging back in form and they're such amazing footballers and as a manager like Guardiola must be so happy with the way that they're just obeying him and all that and Ken's article was interesting to reference in that like even some of these beautiful footballers they themselves just seem to after a while get a little bit bored of it Um, and like Manchester City are just going to be boring for the rest of the season unless you support Manchester City and if you support Manchester City I'm not even sure you find it that interesting anymore yourself.
2: Hmm. We'll uh, come back to that topic I'm sure Dan McDonald's in the football show might throw it to him as well before we get to Richie's news round I haven't talked to you in a while Johnny we're into late January now which means Cheltenham is starting to come up on the uh, horizon. So uh, big picture, what are we uh, looking at for Cheltenham? Irish trainers once again to trance the English, is that very much on the cards again? And are there any uh, big storylines that you're looking at in particular?
0: Yeah, there was an interesting article uh, in the Racing Post, I think yesterday by Bill Barber and he was just talking about the the problems that Racing faces in terms of um getting sponsors and it's the the, the Gold Cup actually at the moment's lack of ability to get a sponsor to um follow Magners and Magners ended up basically in a big spat with um, you know, the 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 guys who are organized the sponsorship at Cheltenham because of um a fallback from the, the Cheltenham that controversially went ahead two years ago which is kind of hard to believe at this stage but you know Bill Zarkley was just talking about the the negatives of the briny frost situation obviously the gordon elliott situation which we spoke about last march there are a lot of challenges for racing i think going forward um, joe. and joe and and also a lot of challenges as well in terms of field sizes in britain at the moment are quite small and um, getting people back racing in ireland the betting ring is virtually wiped out in Ireland at the moment an awful lot of challenges so it'll be interesting to see with Cheltenham like I, I think in terms of the Cheltenham's that I've looked forward to this has to be one of the ones where I'm not as excited about it as before despite the fact we've all these outstanding horses because it's been really strange since the start of the pandemic the amount of time and it's become habitual for me to be watching racing almost um, you know at home so the, the the prospect going over to Cheltenham is quite different as much as we're going to have an, a, a real real quality in terms of the novices um, right from the surprise Cream, all the way to all the good novice races. Gordon Elliott, Willie Mullins, and Henry De Bromhead will represent Ireland very well, but the race is in a slightly different place to where it was, we'll say, that controversial Cheltenham and um, before the start of the pandemic, and it, it, it has a lot of challenges ahead.
2: Okay, that's the voice of Johnny Ward with us here for the news round this evening, which is brought to you by Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved Razors. And Richard McCormick, you're starting with Andy
1: Farrell's Six Nations squad. Yes, indeed I am. Photoshoot star Joe Malloy. Uncapped Joe Mac Hanson and Mike Larry have been named in Ireland's Six Nations squad. Australian-born Hanson qualifies through a Corconian mother and his inclusion comes off the back of a string of impressive performances since joining Connacht in the summer. Larry is in impeccable form for Ulster and was man of the match in last week's Champions Cup win at Northampton. James Lowe misses out. He has a muscle injury, but Joey Carberry is included, despite the fact he's still coming back from a fractured elbow. There's no room for either of Leinster's Byrne brothers, but Jack Carty earns a recall, as does Kieran Treadwell. And no Simon Zebo either in that squad of 37. Keith Wood and Rory O'Connor on the way after 8 o'clock. Loads to discuss there. We're going to a bit
2: about the English squad as well, which is very interesting. Eddie Jones has pronounced this week that uh, this is his third team, his third regeneration. It's uh, interesting, I guess, because they have so many players to choose from. He can almost be that ruthless, whereas in Ireland we have to almost uh, keep what we have we can't have that dramatic uh, turnover so he said he had the team from the 2015 World Cup which he rode all the way through to 2018 territory then started a new team which uh, brought him through to the World Cup and he said that team pretty much died for him last year so 2022 he's got a new team and it's all about the World Cup so we'll chat to Keith and Rory about that Jones says uh, Johnny team only lasts two, three, four years generally two to three is his opinion and then you're on the slide In terms of peak performance everybody being uh, hungry just uh, a cycle I suppose in his opinion he always feels in rugby maybe it's different of the sports but he feels in rugby uh, a team has a 2-3 year cycle before you got to do start doing major surgery ideally yeah
0: it, it's because it, I mean, I'm i just thinking of Man City there and it's like um you know, have they have they gone that much back? But um, I don't know. I think that this is going to be a brilliant Six Nations. I'm just like the 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 quality of the say Ireland, England, and obviously France as well. Yeah. Um, and I think I don't know. I I'd say like the atmosphere in Lansdowne Road is going to be amazing for even the two home games they have Scotland and Wales because of the fact that it's just such hunger there. And I like I'm a peripheral kind of fan of rugby, but the French team. I it's, it's a long time since I've watched a team as good to watch in rugby as this French team.
2: Yes, no, there's no doubt. France being back has injected something back into the Six Nations after almost a lost decade. There is no doubt. So uh, Ireland start off with Wales at home in, what, two and a half weeks time at this stage. So Keith
1: and Rory O'Connor on the way after eight o'clock. Richie, we did allude to The live football this evening. Yeah, and uh, Manchester United are seeking a first away win since November. Ralph Rangnick's side are away to Brentford from eight o'clock. Cristiano Ronaldo and Scott McTominay are back in the Manchester United starting 11 tonight. Uh, Meanwhile, Matt Doherty must again content himself with a place on the Tottenham bench. They are away to Leicester City. Uh, That game kicks off at half past seven. Egypt looking to secure automatic qualification for the last 16 at the Africa Cup of Nations. 17 minutes played in their final group D clash tonight. It's Egypt nil. Sudan, they'll score us two between Nigeria and Guinea-Bissau and Nigeria were already secured of a place in the knockout phase We have Mim in Cork who's been in touch
2: God help those poor little multi-millionaire lambs at Man United the big bad man shouting at them are they toddlers or what they would be running crying to their mum if Jose Mourinho or Roy Keane was in charge these leagues are pathetic and go to show just how pampered they are Well two points on that One I suppose you're right on the league's point maybe in defence of the majority it would only take a few who might be out of the team and unhappy anyway to provide enough leaks to generate a piece like that. But we don't know who the leaks are coming from. Uh, secondly, on the Mourinho-Roy Keane point, Johnny, I think that's precisely why uh, management is, uh, well, passing Jose Mourinho by and it's perceived to have passed Roy Keane by. It's because this style of management doesn't work with the majority of players now.
0: It's, it's completely true. And like even Tuchel, I, I'd have to say, I really admire how kind of honest he is um, after games. He was talking about the, like Chelsea weren't great against Brighton last night. He was speaking after the game about like, he thinks the players are tired. He'd be regarded as an extremely good manager, but even he's kind of thinking the schedule for these players, you know, maybe maybe I'm actually playing, like I'm not rotating the squad enough or whatever. And um, like, Roy Keane is like he's kind of a good example of what's wrong with kind of football punditry at, at the moment in that he's really good to listen to but I'm not sure he has anything to offer tactically so he just says the same sound bites in terms of the players are a joke like they have to work harder you know he has to go up for a header there but Roy Keane's a failed manager at this stage and he's failed for a reason because he wasn't him to evolve and I'm not saying that's easy but like that, that in fairness to Guardiola how he gets the players like of the modern era to just perform um, day in day out for him is, is really testament to his ruthless nature because a lot of a lot of managers I think the game is just passing the by in that regard and, like the kids of today are just they're a little bit different maybe.
2: Yeah it's uh, and it, with, with Keane and his analysis everything is a question of personality You know, even at the weekend just gone by, there was an Aston Villa defender. I just walked in towards the end of it and he was trying to warm up to a mini fitness test at half time and couldn't get through it. And and Keane was saying, well, like show a bit more. But I was thinking, the guy's guy's injured. And he's realised early on here, I'm injured. So there's no point persevering. That can't be about personality necessarily. It's too easy to sit from studio, not know what the injury is and just put it down to personality. Like the stat that always gets me, you could think, well, is this increasingly an age thing? Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola is a year older than Roy Keane.
0: Yeah, and like the, the thing was with Roy Keane is, you know, he has to be aware of his power at this stage. And, you know, you've been on stage with him and you've been able to bear witness to that. Um, and for a guy who, you know, has effectively become a football pundit now, his a bit like Bart Simpson and I didn't do it, will eventually die out because it's the same thing. And it's not like you can't just keep re- reiterating the same kind of narrative, you know. Um, he's he's got to put his body there, you know, or he looks, you know, he's got to work harder because we need more than that. And like Shane Keegan spoke with this two or three weeks ago on, on Football Saturday. Like some of the punditry now, like tell tell me something tactical about the game. Tell me something I don't see because like I can see exactly what you're saying. You know,
2: you I would. I, 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 I hear what you're saying, and I know Rich you agree. I would actually counter it by saying, generally, I agree with you. Like, I would get, I, I would find that style tiresome. I think Roy Keane is so. Amazingly magnetic and so impressive in full flow and so box office mm-hmm. that actually I'm more than happy for him to be on my TV screen for a long time to come. And generally, if I turn on Sky and he's not there on a Sunday, I kind of think, ah, oh, it's a pity Keane's not there. So uh, well, cer- certain individuals, like the fact that we're still talking about Roy Keane so much, certain mm-hmm. individuals I think will always be very, very interesting, and he well, like that- he'll he'll always have it.
1: Well that, and coupled with, you tie that to the point about Manchester City not being lovable, it just goes to to show that essentially what we're viewing is an entertainment product and we're viewing it through the lens now of it being an entertainment product and solely that we're not looking for sporting endeavour and we're not looking for nuance, we're yeah, like on, the main Danny.
0: red stories on various websites are like what Keane, Neville or Carraher said about a game as opposed to the game itself. It's like, what's what What's going on here? Like, what are we actually watching? Are we watching someone who played the game 20 years ago talking about Man United? Or are we watching the game ourselves and making our own kind of conclusions on it?
2: Yeah, thing about that, though, is audiences say this, but then they dictate what the most red stories are. So,
0: Absolutely. You know,
2: in the, Absolutely. <laughs> in the privacy of their own uh, tablet, screen, phone, or otherwise, they're clicking on it, so, uh, you know, it's it's a never-ending circle and cycle. Anyway, my God, let's uh, reverse from the Roy Keane discussion, can we? 20 past seven on a Wednesday. No, it's in our lives. And talk Australian Open. So is, is COVID, are we uh, Are we using the word rife? You're using the word rife, Rife, I see here, Richie, at the Australian uh, Open. Alex-
1: Alexander Zverev certainly seems to think it could be. Yeah, Ugo Umber tested positive after his first round exit, as did Bernard Tomic during the qualifiers. Prior to testing positive, Tomic also claimed that players weren't being tested. And third seed Zverev echoed that allegation today following his straight sets win over John Millman.
3: My brother, when he arrived, he had it. He was in quarantine in, in Sydney. Um, now he, he is obviously he doesn't have it anymore. But um, I think quite a few players had it when they arrived. Quite a few players, I think, have it now. We we, we are not getting tested, so um, I think if we would get tested, there would be probably more positives than there are now. Um, in a way. But I'm I'm somebody I, I I'm here to play the tournament, and I understand that there's a lot of cases in Melbourne. There's a lot of cases in Australia all around, so I don't do much outside. I haven't been to any restaurants yet. I haven't been out. I haven't been anywhere but the hotel room and um, and the court. So I'm kind of doing a bubble for myself, uh, simply because I don't want to take any risks and I want to give myself the best chance possible to do well here. And if I get COVID, then that's obviously not going to happen
1: Rich Uh, Yeah, Rafa Nadal will face Karen Kashinov in round three after seeing Yannick Hanfman in straight sets today a fourth round meeting of top seed Ash Barty and defending champion Naomi Osaka moved a step closer today Osaka took just 65 minutes to dispatch Madison Brengel in straight sets while Barty beat the Italian qualifier Lucia Bronzetti 6-1-6-1 fourth seed Barbora Krejcikova also progressed and she'll face another ex-French Open champion in Yelena Ostapenko in round three very good. Now, Johnny did
2: mention the Shamrock Rovers situation, so what's going on here?
1: Yeah, they look like beginning the defence of their SSE Artricity Premier Division title behind closed doors. They've been punished after fireworks were aimed at the RSC pitch from the away end during November's game away to Waterford. The club banned two supporters for their part in the incident shortly thereafter. Rovers begin the season at home to UCD, but they're likely to appeal uh, the FAI's punishment. Johnny, you'd be afraid with the league. Is this kind of a
2: ban in keeping with previous incidents?
0: Well, I, I I never recall fireworks being um, thrown on a pitch, and if you if you saw the images and the videos of this, like I I'd never seen anything like it in the League of Ireland, and like it's quite quite possible what was done here was was a lot bigger than like you know what what should, fans should be punished in terms of going to games or not. But but let's be honest here, and I, I'm interested to know what Richie's view as a Bose fan. I mean, this is extremely harsh in Sean McRover's. I mean, can you be co- completely uh, accountable for away fans at a game and the stewarding yeah. of the? Do you know what I mean? And the, like the it's whole a, it's shorting in, it's... at games?
1: it's in the rules like I I, I, I I did a couple of pieces up on it at the time when the news broke that Friday night and then again uh, this afternoon when the when the news of the punishment kind of eked out but it is written into the FI rules that uh, further sanctions might be imposed in case of serious disturbances uh, sorry I'm just trying to bring up the, the, the line here I, think, I think uh, Richard, the
0: the, bold, the the Sean McRover's fans I was told the Sean McRover's fans like actually alerted like the relevant security to, yeah. to who did this um, and I've a lot of sympathy for them because let's be honest you can't can you police every fan going into a ground at home and away games i think particularly in light of fans coming back to grounds i just think it's very very harsh
1: yeah, the, the actual real estate, the visiting club or team is liable for improper conduct among its own group of spectators, regardless of the question of culpable conduct or culpable oversight, and depending on the situation, may be fined and or instructed to pay compensation uh, for damages, and then it goes on into further sanctions, etc., etc. but uh, included in that is use of racist behavior, fireworks, uh, displaying slogans in any form, uh, and encroaching onto the pitch. So they have broken the rules. It doesn't matter where the, the matter took place. They were responsible for their own fans under the rules of the FAI. Um, I'll be honest, like I, I can't remember a stadium ban for something like this happening. So it would be unusual um, if it's not necessarily a first. Um, but it yeah, feels I, like a harsh I, rule. I, I'd be interested to see how the appeal goes. It does feel like a harsh rule to me.
0: It does, because, like, the irony as well of, like, there's so much of a buzz about the first round of games next year. And even for UCD, I think Rovers could get seven or eight, seven, maybe even sell out Tala for this game because there's so much of a buzz. And the irony of having so many empty stadia, including for the visit of Milan, and then you're back to this, it's just, I don't know. I hope they they appeal it, and I hope something else happens, like a fine or something, because I just think this is very harsh.
2: Where were you, Richie, the night that Shamrock Rovers played Waterford? In fact, don't answer that, but... (laughs) <laughs> you knew the rule you de- knew the
1: rule I was sat at this desk watching the tweets rolling <laughs> in and going good god what's happening down there uh, I think that was the same night Mark Bircher went off at his players as well so yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, it's been an interesting couple of months for Waterford
2: you might uh, and there's very little we can say about this but it is an interesting story isn't it you might just bring us this Arsenal betting pattern story
1: yeah, it's reported that a yellow card given to an Arsenal player earlier this season is under investigation for suspicious betting patterns. The Athletic claims the bookmakers flagged to the FA an unusual amount of money placed on the player to receive a booking during a Premier League game. An FA spokesperson says they're looking into the matter while Arsenal have refused to comment. Mm, okay. I
0: can't say much about this, obviously, Joe, but... It, um, but I
1: suspect you're I, about to. <laughs> no, I, I,
0: I'm not. I'm, I'm going to be quite careful here. I here. think the bookmakers did alert um, the authorities because there was suspicious betting here. But if if a player is done for this, he will face serious, serious punishment. So like it might seem like a kind of a minor thing and it's like, oh, somebody, you know, there was suspicious. If somebody is done for this, there's serious punishment. Like you're talking bands of years here. Like oh, so it, it's gonna be a big story.
2: Yeah, a huge story. Absolutely. Fellas, we're just out of time. Johnny Ward, pleasure. Thanks so much, Johnny. Thanks, Joe. Richard McCormick as ever, thank you. That's all. Cheers.